people this morning. Uh, I pray that you would, uh, your spirit would be on this place, that your spirit would be um, in us, around us, um, penetrating our hearts and and the stony parts of us that we've that we've allowed uh, um, to become, you know, that we've allowed to become uh, numb to your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us and and uh, pierce us and and bring us to a place where we would uh, just depend on you over and over and more and more. Um, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, uh, when I worked at the home, we had a uh, we had a young man who'd been living in uh, placements for uh, the majority of his life. He was 18. He was going to be going out on his own soon, um, and he uh, I think actually ended up in a in a, a, a state hospital ultimately. But um, he he had this runaway that he did while I was working at the home. Like, I think I was actually there that day, in fact, where he, uh, like, took off down the road and um, jumped over a fence onto uh, private property that we were told not to ever go onto. Like, the from on high, we were commanded, do not ever cross this property line. You know, this is, it doesn't matter. Don't chase kids there. Let them go. And so I remember I was following him, and he went over that fence, and I was like, all right, well, have a nice day. And, and this young man got away, and we didn't hear anything else about it until about a week later when he showed up in the newspaper um, for having shoplifted a handgun, a pellet gun, not a handgun. It's really hard to shoplift an actual handgun. Um, Somebody shoplifted a pellet gun and used it to, to steal a car from a gentleman who was, was um, getting out of it. And he picked just the junkiest car he could find. And he, he got in that car and he tried to drive away. Now, most of y'all have driver's licenses, right? And most of y'all got your dri- or learned to drive, like this is Montana. I'm assuming almost all of you learned to drive when you were eight, Right? Um, Jim Durga isn't here, but I think he learned to drive stick when he was six, uh, is what he told me, if I remember that right. But, like, like this young man had played driving video games with a controller, you know, um, and he had been in cars most of his life. And, and as it turns out, that was the full extent of his driving experience. And so he got into his car, this car that he had stolen, and he drove about a quarter of a mile and along the way, he hit quite a few things and damaged some parked cars and bounced off a fence, I think, and eventually hit a telephone pole. And as it turns out, like, he didn't know how to drive, right? Like, and you'd think, you know, stealing a car, that would be a first question you'd ask yourself. Do I know how to drive? Um, but the reason he assumed he did was because he had seen folks do it, right? And he would played video games where he did it. And so naturally, he knew how to drive a car. Um, The thing is that it's not the same, right? Like the learning process for learning to drive a car is, um, like for me, it was, you know, you go to a parking lot with mom, and you you spend a little bit of time trying to figure out the clutch thing, right, and the stick. 
And then mom gets really frustrated and says, your dad's going to teach you. And then you go home and you come back with dad. See, this is funnier for my wife because she knew my mom and can see this happening. Um, and, and then dad works you through the process and, and you, you learn about turning and you, you have somebody who watches you and says, nope, nope, do this. And they guide you through the process. And actually the best way to learn most of these sorts of things is to have someone guide you through the process. Um, we've been talking for the last few uh, weeks about various aspects of the Christian life. And, and last week we started talking about discipleship and um, like how Christ commanded the church to do discipleship and how um, the church was to spread the word like through like the preaching of the gospel. And then we were supposed to disciple folks and like raise them up in the faith. Um, and help them to mature in the faith, and the church was born. Um, and if you read the book of Acts, like the book of Acts, we're going to be doing the book of Acts for the next, I don't know how long it's going to take us to do the book of Acts. It's not a very short book. Um, but it is the earliest, um, it is the earliest example of the church coming into being, right? And it is a driving lesson where the teacher is the Holy Spirit. Like, and the whole process, in fact, actually, it's often the case, like the historians and um, um, scholars have called this book the Acts of the Spirit. Um, it's actually, I think, technically the Acts of the Apostle, of the Apostles, or Second Luke is what it was originally called, Second Luke, kind of interesting. Um, but it is the church learning to drive with the Holy Spirit saying, oh, we're going to hit the brake now. We're going to hit the gas now. Oh, turn left, turn right. Oh, shift up, shift down. Um, and, and that is what we're going to be looking at. And it's important for us because what I'm looking at in a bigger picture um, and what I'm kind of trying to work through in this sort of disjointed series is um, I'm trying to present to us what it means to be the church what it means to be the body of Christ. And I think if you're going to learn something, the best place to start is like looking at how other people learn to do it. Does that make sense? Um, looking at how other people matured in the faith, looking at how other people learned to sit behind the wheel and learn how to turn the wheel and learn how to do the stick thing and everything else. Um, for those of you who are under the age of 20, the stick and the clutch um, is something that, like back in the Stone Ages, people used to drive cars that way. Um, now it's an anti-theft device. So <laughs> we're going to jump into the book of Acts here, okay? And Acts is a fun book. It was written by Luke, right? And Luke was a doctor. Um, interestingly enough, back then, doctors were not necessarily um, people who were well off and then like went to medical school and everything else. Most doctors started out as slaves, and you would train one of your slaves to be a doctor. That way he could take care of all the other uh, slaves, right? Like, so it was, it was an investment. So if you had 30 slaves, you'd train one to be a doctor, and he'd take care of everyone else, and it was a good deal. And it is generally assumed that Luke was probably a slave who was trained to be a doctor and then ultimately... Um, gained his freedom. And in fact, actually, some folks assume, like, like one of the arguments, well, well, we'll get into this. This is Second Luke, or the Acts of the Apostles, because it picks up right where the book of Luke 
um, ends. And there are a couple theories as to why this is. Um, one of the theories is that, like, he just hit that point in the writing and it was time to start another book, and he separated them. Um, another theory is that, like, if you had a book, it was generally a scroll, right? And at the point in time a scroll reached 35 feet long, it got to be a little cumbersome to move around. And so a lot of times you would then start another one. And that's one theory as to why there's Luke and Acts. Kind of interesting. Um, it may have been written historically because there's a theory that Luke was going to write a third book of Acts, or a third book, but he didn't live long enough to do it. Um, we're not really sure. But So we're going to dive in here. We're only going to do the first eight verses today. Um, so it should take us two days. Uh, I'm kidding. It's a joke. Um, in, the, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, so it starts with a recap. And we're introduced to a character named Theophilus. Um, Luke is unique amongst the gospel. The gospel of Luke is unique because it is an investigation into the events um, that took place during the life of Jesus. Luke was not an eyewitness. He interviewed eyewitnesses and wrote a book based on it, which is why Luke probably has the most extensive Christmas, or well, it has the most extensive like, like birth of Jesus narrative because he went and he talked to Mary. And he, like, <laughs> recorded everything Mary said in the book. So he's got all of this stuff that's added in because he's probably the only one that sat down and had a long conversation with Mary in order to record it in his book. And so um, Luke is unique in a lot of ways. Theophilus is the guy who he's sending these books to. Um, it may have been the case that Theophilus paid Luke to write them or, like, sponsored him to write him. Some folks assume that, like, maybe Theophilus was Luke's owner when he was a slave and that Paul converted him and that he gave Luke to Paul to, like, to, to be Paul's servant. I don't know. It, it's all guesswork, right? Um, one way or the other, Theophilus, which means love, lover of God or like um, person who loves God, uh, is a recipient of this particular volume. Um, and so he says, listen, we, I told you all about Jesus. I told you all about what Jesus was uh, teaching and all the miracles he did. And I've told you all about these things like when he went up into heaven and everything else. Like this is it. And so now he's going to present the transition. Um, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, watch this. Um, Luke explains that Jesus, having presented himself, risen from the dead, um, and he gave them all sorts of proofs, meaning that like he did things like eating, right? Because actually eating, um, in the ancient world, they would say, well, you know, ghosts don't eat. So if you eat, it's proof you're alive. And so like one of the things that Luke is saying here is there's all sorts of evidence, and I covered that in my last book, there's all sorts of evidence that Christ rose from the dead after being crucified. And that's important because he's about to talk about the witnesses for the church. The apostles, as they go out and they preach the word, these are folks who, like, were witnesses of Christ. Um, Christianity is not based on a book. 
right? It is based on eyewitnesses' accounts of what happened. Um, It is unique in this way. Um, Christianity is the only one of the ancient religions where, like, they say, like, the guys who started it said, you know, all right, here's what God is like, and I can tell you because I used to hang out with him, right? It's not the case that you would ever see, like, you know, well, I'm writing about Zeus, and here's what I observed. It was just, you know, it was always, oh, yeah, this is a thing Zeus did. Um, In this case, these are people saying, like, you know, and, and, and it's important because they're saying, we knew Christ, this is what they observed, I have interviewed them, I am giving you their testimony in Acts. Um, and as they go forward, they, these are people going out and saying what they saw, um, saying what they witnessed. So, um, and Christianity is that religion. We are based on eyewitness accounts. We're not based on theories. We're not based on clever thinking. We're not based on um, guesses or science fiction stories about aliens or anything like that. Like We are based on the testimony of um, the eleven, right? Um, and the 500 witnesses, most of these guys were executed, right? I mean, except for John, who died of natural causes in prison after being boiled in oil once, but he did survive. Um, Everybody else was executed. And in fact, actually, probably Luke was too, um, eventually, under Nero. So, um, he shows them all of these proofs between the resurrection and the ascension, and Um, Now we pick it up. uh, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now, here's a big thing here. Um, Not to depart from Jerusalem, where Christ was crucified, where Christ did a bunch of his teaching, where Christ, like, like the majority of the gospel accounts, like, is focusing on Jesus in Jerusalem, right? Um, And so these guys are hanging out in Jerusalem, and they begin preaching in Jerusalem. Um, Why does that matter? Well, um, because they didn't go somewhere else in the world to preach. Because um, it would be really hard to fabricate a story somewhere else. Does that make sense? Like these are folks who are going to go and they're going to preach to people who saw Christ, who encountered him, who heard him, who like sat on the teaching steps outside of the temple and listened to Jesus argue with the, the teachers of the law and stuff like that. I mean, this is a big deal um, because if they had made Jesus up, like that's one of those big accusations. There wasn't even a historical person named Jesus. If these guys had just made him up out of whole cloth, it would be a really hard thing to do to show up in Jerusalem and say, hey, remember that Jesus guy? And like, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, you, we have no idea what you're talking about. It'd be like if I showed up and said, well, um, my brother Steve, who was here last week, remember when he got on stage and sang? No. <laughs> I couldn't even convince you that that happened, right? Um, and so this is a solid, concrete thing that has happened. Um, and we're going to move on. I'm sorry, I'm getting bogged down in some of this. But I think this is fascinating about the early church. And so it's easy for me to um, indulge on it. Um, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so Jesus says, listen, 
Um, you heard this from me, like John baptized you with water. There was this whole baptism, and it was a baptism of repentance. Now the Holy Spirit is coming, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and this is going to be this like big event, right? And that is why, by the way, um, the story of um, the book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit acting through the early church, right? And it's one of the major themes of Acts is the Holy Spirit moved in this huge way and like like went off like a bomb, right? Um, and 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 it's a big deal. I mean, it's not a small thing at all. Now, um, there's some weird minutia here that we could argue about, and we'll get to it probably um, when we do the Pentecost uh, sermon. But there's this whole discussion about like, well, why don't we speak in tongues and why don't we have this moment where the Holy Spirit comes on us separate from our water baptism, or why do we do this, or why do we do that? Um, the important thing to understand, because we're going to focus just on this account, is Christ, like, predicted the Holy Spirit is coming, and he is coming to equip you for the work that you're going to do. Um, and that's going to be fundamental to what they're doing. I have a truck I bought, an old farm truck, because I'm not smart enough to buy something that is better than an old farm truck. Um, it was cheap, and it made it almost all the way home before it broke down. Um, and I had Jimmy over to look at my farm truck and help me figure out why it was not running. And one of the things that Jimmy said was, the gas smells funny, right? Which is weird, because I was always told, don't huff gas. But <laughs> Jimmy's opened my eyes <laughs> and my nose, um, but apparently, as gas ages, it lowers the octane, and eventually you can hit this point where it won't start the car anymore. And it won't run anymore because it doesn't have sufficient power to push the engine, right? Um, and this is kind of what's going to happen here. The Holy Spirit is the only gas that can drive the church, right? Um, the, there was a time in the 90s and the early 2000s where it was all the rage to go to um, mega churches, right? And you would go to these mega churches and they would teach you exactly how to make your church grow exactly like theirs. And I went to a bunch of those because it was a part of my job at one point. And the amazing thing is I look back on them. I never, ever, ever, ever heard anyone say you make your church grow by praying a whole lot and preaching the scriptures faithfully. Not once. I learned about, I can tell you, in fact, um, the top two things people look for when they attend a church for the first time are, anybody know? Can I find a place to park? And, like, how nice is the bathroom? No joke. Those are the first two criteria, most important things that people bring to the table when assessing a church during their church shopping experience. Um, and they talked about, like, well, this is how you run a good youth program to draw kids in. And this is how you do a good, like, projector show. And this is how you set up lights. And this is how you, you know, do your music in a way that is more appealing to the world. And all of this other stuff. But it was never about prayer. And it was never about um, preaching the scriptures. And the amazing thing was that it never worked when we brought it home. You know why? Because it wasn't gas. It was orange juice or Kool-Aid or some other nonsense. 
The way churches grow, the way believers grow, is through the Holy Spirit moving. And that happens through prayer and the preaching of the word, and then ultimately through moving. Um, And so as Christ tells him this, look, um, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, It's a foreshadow, but it's a foreshadow that's going to play out for the rest of the book. Um, I'm going to skip over that verse, which I feel bad about. It was this whole thing I was going to talk about um, related to this baptism, um, that we're baptized by one spirit. But we're not going to do that this week. We'll do it another week. Um, So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, or the kingdom to Israel? Now, I suspect that this is the point in time where Jesus rolled his eyes and he's like, are you, are you guys kidding? Like, are you joking? Because what they were looking for, they gathered up and, man, the church has blown this over and over and over and over again for centuries since. Um, they gather up and the very first thing they say is, all right, Jesus, is this the moment where you're going to kill all the Romans and make Israel a country again? What? Um, he's told them over and over again that my kingdom isn't of this world. Like, he's, he's talked to them over and over again, like, hey, you're not going to call fire down on the bad guys from, from the heavens. You don't understand. I, he talks about dying for their sins, all of this stuff, and they just don't get it. You know why? Because they're still running on Kool-Aid and orange juice. Because they don't get clarity in their heads and in their eyes where they can understand the teaching until the Holy Spirit moves right? Until they are filled with the Spirit, they don't get it. And that's actually why when Christ says, well, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, this is not from you, right? It's from the Spirit. It was revealed to you by God. Because you, me, our neighbors, anybody who preaches the gospel, we cannot do it effectively apart from the Spirit. Um, Otherwise, we are pushing. It's like if I get an address, actually, we used to do this as a youth group. We would have these races, these car races in the parking lot. Well, we'd park two Saturns, because I drove a Saturn, and one of the guys who went to youth group had a Saturn. And we would divide up, like boys and girls or whatever, and we would race the cars across the parking lot without starting them. You'd throw it in neutral, right? And you'd push, and you'd race to see who could get to the other side fast enough. And I remember the first time I did it, I was being obnoxious because I had the boys and they were convinced they were going to beat the girls, so I threw it in first right before they started going. And you know what they couldn't do? They couldn't move the car in first gear. You know why? Because they don't have enough strength. They don't have enough power. And that is what it is when we try to grow the church or we try to grow ourselves. I'm going to grow spiritually. How am I going to do it? I'm going to work at this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to have a swear jar so I don't say bad words anymore. I'm going to do these things. And you just can't do it. Um... You cannot grow spiritually apart from the Holy Spirit indwelling you, apart from the Holy Spirit filling you up and killing the old part of you and bringing to life the part of you that is alive in Christ. That is it. And that is why this is the acts of the Holy Spirit, not just the acts of the the apostles. That is the thing that is going to come out in the months that we do this. The Holy Spirit is going to do all of the work and it is going to be amazing. So they say, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to give us an earthly power that we crave? I'm going to touch on this one more thing real briefly. 
This is what the church does when we say we need to make the church. We need to bring our culture back to Christianity. And that's why you need to vote dot, dot, dot. It's true, right? At the end of the day, does like the Christendom version of culture help the church grow? Sometimes. In a lot of ways, it makes some things easier because when you bring somebody to Christ who is an absolute pagan, it is really hard to help them understand the basics. And you're like fighting against a value system that's broken and screwed up. The danger on the other side of that is, oh, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. (laughs) Of course I'm a Christian. My dad was Catholic. Right? Tell me you haven't heard that before. (laughs) The earthly kingdom is not the point. The earthly kingdom will not save anyone. The Supreme Court will not get you to heaven. Right? Only the Supreme Court, judging based on Christ, will save you. That is it. And so as we fight and struggle and go back and forth about government and this and that and the other, like which is the season we're in, right, at least for another four weeks, um, don't make this mistake. Christ is not in our like in any earthly government, in any worldly power, Christ and the kingdom of God are about his rulership in the church, through the church, through our hearts, like making us new. If you want to bring the kingdom to America, if you want to bring the kingdom into Montana or into Big Sandy, you know how you do it? You get down on your knees and you pray. And then when you're done praying, you know what you do? Pray a little more. And then when you're done praying a little more, then you pray some more and you study the word so that you can answer from the word when people say you know what my life is really feeling meaningless well let me tell you about what you were really meant to be you know man i feel hopeless man i'm depressed all the time let me tell you about what god has for you like i can't convert the country or the the city i can't it's not even a very big city Is it because I'm a terrible preacher? Yes. Is it because I'm going to go over again? Yes. Is it because of a lot of things? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's not my job. It's your job. Your job is to grow as disciples. Your job is, well, you say, well, nobody's discipling me. Then ask someone, right? Because if you want to learn to drive a car, you don't steal one and drive it. Or you'll crash into a telephone pole and make it into the paper, and I'll still be laughing about it 15 years later. If you want to learn to drive a car, you find somebody who knows how to drive a car, and you know what? You have them teach you. Um, I, have a, I have a carburetor in the, trunk, uh, or in the bed of my truck, my crappy or my junky farm truck, sorry. Um, and I, I keep thinking, man, I need to rebuild this thing. And finally, I broke down. I said, you know what? I don't have time. And the last time I rebuilt a carburetor, it went really badly, and so I'm just going to pay someone to do it. You know why? Because I can't find anybody to show me how to do it, and I don't have time to do it. Um, If you want to do something well, you find someone to train you. As believers, we sometimes think, if I sit in church every Sunday, I will grow, and I will get better. If I get that 40 days of whatever book, I'll grow, and I'll get better. If I, you know, have a swear jar... I hate to use that as an example, but I've done it, and that's why um, 
I, I think it's funny because, like, well, if I punish myself enough, I'll be holy. No. If I grow in Christ, I'll grow in holiness. How do I grow in Christ? I train by finding somebody who helps me grow. And I read the word and I, like, con- consume Christ. And the Spirit then grows through me, like pushes me to become something better. That is how you grow spiritually. Um, Lord, are you going to reveal the kingdom of Israel at this time? Like, are you going to restore it? Are you going to give us power? Are the tanks going to roll out? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Um, But, so his first correction, he says, listen. The world is going to be made right, but it's not time for you to know, and you don't get to know. Your job is to do the, do the work, right? Your job is to preach the gospel. Your job is to make disciples. Your job is to baptize. Your job is to spread the word. Like, your job is to create the kingdom around you. Will the whole world be reformed one day? Yes. When Christ comes back, it is all going to be set right. Anybody, anybody, anybody who tells you this is the day it's going to happen because it'll be the eighth blood moon of the year, and um, you know the the you know there's a treaty between Israel and the United Arab Emirates now. Oh my gosh! Now Siri's heckling me. Um, <laughs> Anybody who says that is lying because it's not for us to know. But the church can easily become preoccupied with that. You know why? Because it's a whole lot easier to conjecture about whether you'll be left behind or not or some other nonsense than it is to say, how do I grow in holiness? How do I repent? How do I stop being this sinful, broken man and become Christ-like? How do I humiliate myself to learn humbleness? How do I become meek? How do I become the least of these? How do I do these things? That's hard. It is really easy to talk about whether or not Kirk Cameron nailed the role. And I don't know. I haven't seen it. But I kind of want to make fun of Kirk Cameron today, even though I kind of like him. Um, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The word there, power, is dynamo. Based on this Greek word, we get dynamite. I like dynamite. I like the word dynamite. I have never gotten to play with dynamite, but I've played with tannerite, which I assume is a cousin. Right? What happens when you shoot tannerite? Fun stuff, right? Big, loud, impressive stuff. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit... Um, by the way, if anybody has dynamite and wants to have me over to play with it, I am all about it. Um, so the Holy Spirit is going to show up and it is going to be with power, not just like electricity power, not just like a power bar kind of power or, you know, an extra jolt of coffee power. It is going to be explosive. It is going to be big and impressive and amazing. By the way, if you want to grow a church, if you want to have... Um, I hate the word, but revival. If you want to see Christ happen in a big way, that's it, right? Power. If you have the wrong gas in the truck, it won't be enough to push it. It won't. You need something with power. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now watch this. In Jerusalem, meaning at home. If you want to be a witness for Christ that is effective, it starts 
in your own family. I remember when I was working for a church and I was drinking too much and I was kind of a train wreck personally. And my wife stopped me one day and said, you cannot be a different person at home than you are when you walk in the door of the church. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's not okay. Um, The reality is that we start preaching the gospel at home and then, you know, to ourselves and to the people around us. And then we move on to Judea, which is the neighborhood. And then we move on to Samaria, which is the state or the country. And then you go everywhere because um, it starts here. It starts where we're at. I know I'm long and the kids are getting restless. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into heaven? Um, this Jesus, who, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so there we have the promise. Jesus is coming back, right? Jesus is coming back. Everybody look busy. Jesus is coming back and he'll set everything right. And between now and that day, and we don't get to know when it is, it is our job to make sure that the folks who don't know Christ don't face his court without him. It's a huge job. How do we do it? Um, actually, I'm going to close with a joke. Usually you open with a joke, but I might as well say something funny today. Um, so this man goes to the National Park to go fishing with his boat in tow behind his truck and everything. And he goes fishing and he comes out and he has just got a cooler full of fish. And he goes in the next day, comes out with a cooler full of fish. Five or six days later, this park ranger is watching him. He's thinking, that's impressive. I got to figure out where this guy's fishing hole is or what sort of bait he's using or what's going on because I want to fish like this. So he talks to the guy day after day, you know, bucket full of fish after bucket full of fish, finally convinces him, says, all right, you can go with me. You can go with me. I'll show you what I do. And so they go, picks him up early in the morning, drives to the lake. They put their boat in. They go out there and they get out into the middle of the lake. And all of a sudden the park ranger notices there's no fishing rods. And there's no bait. So the guy leans over, you know, as the park ranger begins to ask, well, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to catch fish? You don't have any rods. And he pulls a stick of dynamite out of his bag. And he lights it and he throws it in the water. Dynamite sinks and a few seconds later, boom, the water flies up in the air. And what comes to the surface? Lots and lots of fish. And... The park ranger is aghast, and he starts yelling at him. He's like, you're going to go to jail. You can't do that. It's illegal. What is wrong with you? You can't throw dynamite in a national park. You can't fish with dynamite. You can't. And the guy's watching the park ranger freaking out, and he picks up another stick of dynamite, lights it, and tosses it in his lap. He says, you going to sit there and talk all day, or are you going to fish? <laughs> the church is good at teaching. We're good at talking. We're good at gathering up and, and having lessons. We're good at picking up personal devotion books that challenge our hearts and make us feel all warm and fuzzy. But without the Holy Spirit, we ain't ever going to fish. My challenge for you today, my encouragement, my whole point is to ask this. 
Are you going to sit with us all day or are you going to fish? Are you going to take the Holy Spirit with you? Are you going to pray? Are you going to seek after Him? Are you going to clean out the nasty little parts of your life that are keeping you far away from God? Are you going to fish? Are you going to be out there pretending to fish? Throwing road flares in or something else? Trying to race the car by pushing it yourself? Running on an empty tank? Are you going to Are you going to play Christian all day or are you going to fish? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, Lord, I pray that you would make us into people who are dynamite on your behalf. I pray that you would make us into people who share the word of God, who who ingest it, who grow because we challenge ourselves with the lives of the people around us. I pray that every one of us who felt challenged today that you would bring into their hearts and their minds somebody who they can help grow or help them learn to drive the Christian life um, or, or in turn like people that they can help grow. I pray, Lord God, that you would turn us into people of the Spirit. Help us to, help us to seek after the Holy Spirit. Help us to seek after intimacy with you like we seek after you know, food every day and, and, and drink and coffee. Um, I pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.